right? Especially if you're female, especially if you're over 45, like building muscle gets harder and harder and harder. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hello, it is Angela. Welcome to the new release day for the podcast on Tuesdays. This is in response to feedback from many of you guys, as I said in the last episode, um, asking me to release it later in the week so that you can um, listen to it earlier as people are starting to go back to some of their commutes and we're resuming a little bit more of a normal life. I'm actually recording this right now on the hottest, well, what looks to be the hottest day ever, potentially, I think they're saying, and it is definitely um, very, very warm today. So I'm really, really thrilled to bring you today's episode. There's a lot of content all about longevity and in particular, building muscle for longevity. So muscle starts to decline our muscle mass from around the age of 30. And it's this slow degradation that happens over our lifetime until eventually we experience what's known as sarcopenia. And if one of the main diseases in terms of chronic diseases like heart disease or diabetes or cancer doesn't get you, then actually a lot of people really suffer with sarcopenia in old age. And that can lead to things like falls um, causing pretty bad um, damage to their bodies. And it's much harder to recover as you get older. Now, a lot of people don't want that and they understand that, but they don't realize that this degradation in muscle is happening over time for decades really before. And over those years, it actually affects metabolism quite significantly. So what people commonly see is that they can't burn the same number of calories. Often that leads to people restricting their nutritional intake, which can lead to vitamins and mineral deficiencies um, to try to keep calories down. Or they accumulate things like um, some extra body fat, um, often around the abdominal area, particularly if they're not managing blood sugar. But what a lot of people don't realize is that muscle really is an organ of longevity. And it's your key, really, to keeping um, really fit and healthy and managing your blood sugar levels, which is in the form of glycogen. And that can be stored in very limited amounts in the liver, but also in muscle tissue. So the more muscle tissue you have, the more you're able to store that. So it gives you a bit more flexibility with your diet in terms of the number of carbohydrates that you can eat. Um, before they begin to get stored as body fat or what's known as adipose tissue. Muscle actually is also much more metabolically active. And so it burns way more calories. I think it's estimated to burn as much as seven times the number of calories as fat. So it's definitely something that you want apart from, obviously it makes you look good. So that lovely toned look that people talk about is actually muscle tissue. So there really aren't any major drawbacks to having more muscle and it becomes harder and harder to gain with age, as you'll learn on this podcast interview. And um, I'll be sharing with you in my conversation with my guest, actually how you can build muscle. A lot of people, particularly women, do start to worry about the fact that they're going to put on too much muscle. It's going to make them big. That isn't really a concern, particularly as you start to progress through your 40s and 50s, because as I've already mentioned, we're actually fighting this losing battle. We're not really a losing battle. We're fighting a battle of losing our muscle tissue. And so really, we just need to put in as much effort as we can to make sure that we preserve it. Um, and that leaves us in really good physical shape. 
Um, so my guest today, who I'm excited to introduce you to, is David Bertwistle. You may have come across him. He was on the Netflix series Too Hot to Handle. Um, he's a very experienced personal trainer and mindset coach. And in this um, episode, we dive into how you can stay really physically fit well into your 40s, 50s and beyond, how you can build muscle and much more. So without further ado, let me introduce you to David. He's extremely knowledgeable on the subject. He's also my own trainer and I think you're going to get a lot of valuable information from this episode. Be sure to give me your feedback. I always love to hear feedback. So email me, Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com and let me know or let me know in the comments. And as always, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes that are coming up and enjoy this interview. Welcome to another episode of the High Performance Health Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Foster, and today I'm joined by David Bertwistle, who you have probably come across from the show Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. Um, David is a coach and founder of Endeavor Life, which is an online coaching program that provides personal coaching and combines food, movement, and mindset into one place. David, a huge welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hey, Angela. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to, uh, to dive deep and, and chat to you today. Yeah, for sure. I've got lots of questions, so I can't wait to get started. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of background first? Because I know that what's unique about your um, online offering is that it's not just fitness and food. You're very um, big on mindset, and I know that you've kind of gone through a lot of personal growth yourself. So do you want to kind of just share a bit of your background? Yeah, for sure. So my background, I started off um, getting into health and fitness through rugby. I was I played rugby uh, in my teens and, and I was relatively successful and then uh, went to university to study strength and conditioning. And then from there went into the world of coaching. So I've been coaching for about 10 years now here in London. And the thing that I kind of realized through this journey is that what is the most important factor to someone's success in their health and fitness journey is their mindset and their approach because you can write someone the perfect program and you can be the best coach but if that person doesn't buy in if they're not um, consistent when they're not around you if if their mind is getting in their way then they're gonna really struggle to succeed and actually the thing that I found was the most rewarding component about being a coach was seeing that mindset shift uh, from someone who maybe wasn't very confident, who didn't have much self-belief, who underestimated their, their capabilities the whole time to then coming out the other side and they're like walking tall. Like you see the, see people like actually shift in their, um, their posture and how they talk to people and how their, their energy is within a room. And like, that was what I realized was the most rewarding component for me as a coach to see that shift in someone. So it kind of made me think that there's got to be something out there that can help people, like something that we can actually do that will allow that kind of process to become a little bit more structured and, and consistent. And so I had a little dive onto the internet and searched around to try and find something that could help people and I couldn't really find anything that that was 
particularly well structured. There was some kind of six week courses out there. There was some like coaches that would do personal mindset and performance coaching and stuff, but there wasn't really like a platform that people could use. So I thought, well, I know a coach who's really good at this mindset performance component. I've got a decade of experience in the health and fitness industry in nutrition and in training. So why don't I bring them together and create a platform and create a place for people that want to um, do all of this stuff together and and in a non overwhelming capacity. So yeah, I created Endeavor Life and the whole purpose of it is to help people live longer, healthier, happier lives in this kind of holistic approach that tries to teach fundamentals and not just keeping people away from the information, but actually giving them the information and empowering them to live free effectively. Um, so that's kind of like a little bit of background and, and how I came around to the idea of, of creating Endeavor Life. I love that. I love that. And I think um, mindset is such a powerful thing, isn't it? And it really can. Often we're the, the thing that basically stands in our own way. Um, how do you, what do you think determines whether somebody is going to be successful in their health and wellness enterprise compared to someone that isn't over the last 10 years? What have you observed? Is it kind of them having a big enough why and actually understanding the reason for them doing it or what, what have you found there? I think it's, that's a pretty, it's not a straightforward, it's not a super straightforward answer. Unfortunately, yes, there's a massive component of understanding your why. If you have a goal to lose weight and the only reason that you're doing it is because you feel an obligation to, this probably not going to happen because mm. you don't really believe in that thing very much. It's not that important to you. It's not a core belief of who you are as a person. It's just this thing. And therefore you're not massively motivated to do it. Whereas, you know, you see some people that have had like real big health scares and their doctors like, you need to lose weight or you might die. And then they go, Oh wow. Okay. Well that's really important to me. The why is I don't want to die. Mm. So I will do whatever it is I need to do to be healthy. And so there's what, what changed from like 10 minutes before that conversation to 10 minutes after was just the why that was one thing that is a massive, massive driver. Um, and some people have it and they're like really aware of it from the start and other people need to like go along a journey to understand what that is to them. And for some, it might come really quickly and for others, it might take a while, but it's not necessarily that if you, have that that you will therefore be successful that is the first thing but also there's it, it's dependent on your personal experience in life up until that point some people will have been instilled with confidence and self-belief from a young age they'll have done some stuff themselves they'll have tried things and they'll have been successful and so they'll go into it being like yeah i can definitely do this and other people will not have had that. Other people have been constantly put down. They'll have been belittled. They'll have been uh, made to feel insignificant and that they can't achieve anything. And so even if they have a deep why that really, really resonates with them, because they don't believe they can do it, they will really struggle to put the action in place in order to make it happen. So those are two of 
probably the most important things with your mindset if you are going to try and do something as to like whether you're going to be successful in it or not the first thing is <clears throat> understanding your why because if you understand your why then even on the toughest days on the moments where you have the least motivation and the worst inspiration that you will still get up get off your ass and you'll go and do the thing you need to do but the other component is self-belief you have to believe you can achieve something if you don't believe you can achieve it then you won't put the work in to try because if it's not possible what's the point so there's those two components that have a massive impact on the success of an individual in their health and fitness journey. Yeah, that self-belief and kind of visualization, you're kind of visualizing what you want to achieve, aren't you, before it's actually happened and believing that you can go there. And for somebody who, that weight loss is a good example, if they have an awful lot of weight to lose, it's almost hard for them to remember how they were before or to even kind of visualize themselves getting to that end point and there's emotional things you've got to let go of on the way aren't they often there's some very emotional issues it's interesting because i was reading um a blog post yesterday actually by ryan holiday who um i really like his work and he was talking about the difference and and what we're all going through with lockdown and the difference between having a practice and um habits so if you uh, habits and routines so if you have a routine where you wake up in the morning and you put your trainers by your bed and then you're either going to go for a run or you're going to go for a workout as soon as something like what we've all been or are going through at the moment comes in is like a wrecking ball it disrupts that whereas if you know firmly what your values and beliefs are as you were saying and you have the right mindset and why you're doing something then really what you have is a daily practice and commitment to be healthy so then you can kind of adapt around it you just know that today you will be exercising and at some point you'll um have that happen um, but I think lots of people who are listening to this show really like, you know, they are high performers and they like to achieve both in, in the health, but also in life. I really want to chat to you because you're so experienced in this area about how somebody can have that longevity and that fitness and how much they really need to do. So obviously if you're training for a sport like triathlon, it's very specific, or rugby or something like that. But for people who really want to have longevity and look good and continue to look good as, as they kind of go in the, their thirties and forties and beyond, what, what are the workouts that they need to do across a week in terms of mixing up cardio work with strength training? Well, it really does depend on the specific situation of the individual, like what their past history has been, where they're at right now, if they've got injuries and they've always lifestyle factors and all that kind of stuff. But if we're talking in general terminology, then the biggest factor that's going to affect somebody's longevity as an active individual is their strength. It's the capacity of your muscles to generate force regularly, repeatedly, consistently, consistently for an extended period of time. So, for most people, resistance training should form the basis of your, of your training, whatever training it is. It's the fundamental element of what makes us able to do things. Now, even just running, for example, if you don't have sufficient strength in your legs, you can't run because the impact force when your heel strike or when your toe strike is like five to seven times body weight. So if you don't have the strength in your legs, you won't be able to support that impact force and you won't be able to run. And as you get older, you know, you see people, older people in their 70s, 80s, 90s that can barely walk. And that's a lot of the time to do with strength. Like they can't jog, 
because they can't take the impact because the muscles aren't strong enough to deal with it. So the longer that we can delay that, the better. The longer that we can be physically capable and able, the better. So in order to achieve that, resistance training should be a fundamental component of someone's training program. So I think for most people who are training for longevity, who are training for general health and are not trying to elicit a dramatic body transformation, um, you should be resistance training around two times a week as a minimum, really. Now, from a starting perspective, like, and anybody can do this, right? So anyone can do two resistance sessions a week. And I use the term resistance rather than weight training in this capacity because weights, body weight, bands, um, like the in Pilates, you've got the, the big metal springs and stuff on the reformer. All of that is simply resistance. And that's how our muscles develop they develop by being stimulated by resistance having to work to a certain capacity and then they go okay well i need to be better at this and it might be that your starting point is to be able to do a body weight lunge without any additional resistance on top of that your body is the resistance or it might be that you are learning how to do a push-up or a pull-up and these are all body weight movements and they are probably for some people and people even listening to this podcast they're going to be sufficient stimulus to develop a strength adaptation. But for others who have been maybe resistance training for years, then that's not going to be sufficient and they're going to need to add load. And that could be bands or it could be weights, kettlebells, bars, whatever it is. Um, so for most people, two sessions a week is a great place to start. Once you've kind of developed that um, conditioning to that stress, and your body starts to kind of plateau off in terms of strength adaptation, then that's when you start to increase that. And whether it is that initially you are doing two sessions a week and then those two sessions, instead of going to three sessions, what you actually do is just increase the stimulus within the session. So let's say we're doing a 60 second workout and you're doing full body workouts. So you're touching on maybe three sets of um, exercises on full body movements uh, multi-joint exercises, for example, like a squat or a deadlift or um, some sort of pushing or some sort of pulling movement, whatever it is, doing those kind of exercises might be great to start off with. But then as you go on, you might not be providing enough stimulation to the muscle tissues in order to continue to grow and get stronger. So you might need to just change that to um, maybe doing an upper body session and a lower body session so that you're stimulating more um, in each session. Um, and because there's many ways that you can kind of progress something, it might not be that we look at load initially, it might be that we look at time under tension. So, for example, slowing a movement down instead of just going through it quickly, but actually taking the time on the eccentric phase. So, loading slowly will give another stimulus, reducing the rest, increasing the concentric speed. So, we're looking at power instead of just raw strength. Um, increasing the volume, increasing the load. There's so many different variables that we can play with, but essentially to answer your question initially, resistance training is the thing which is going to provide people with the longevity and especially women. Um, like women generally don't have as much muscle tissue as men anyway. Generally they're not as strong. And one of the biggest factors with 
when it comes to quality of life and standard of living when you get older is preventing falls because when we get older we get brittle and so breaking a breaking a hip when you're 30 would suck breaking a hip when you're 80 is life altering effectively mm-hmm. like that is not the way you want to be living your life so if you can develop the strength in your legs the speed and the quickness in your muscles the stability in your core that if you trip to be able to move your leg to support your body weight and stopping yourself from falling over that simple thing is going to potentially prevent you from being in a wheelchair for the last 20 years of your life so if we can develop that that's something that's going to be huge and and we're not even talking about like ligaments or tendons or um, bone loading you know like bone mineral density is something which again affects women more so than men um, having a low bone mineral density and if you're loading your muscles you're in effect loading your bones and so over time when you load your bones they grow thicker and thicker and thicker and so if you're kind of going through menopause or even if you're just uh, getting older, as you get older, your bone mineral density decreases anyway. So the more that you can load in a progressive manner, the better and stronger your bones are going to be. So even if you do fall, they're less likely to break. Yeah, which is super, super important. And I think, as you say, a lot of women don't, don't realize that. And I think they don't necessarily, I think they underestimate sometimes the effect on body composition. So a lot of women are still to this day worry that they're going to get bigger when they start doing resistance training. And I know like my own experience, for example, actually is that I'm usually quite a bit leaner when I'm resistance training than I am when I say, you know, get bored and decide that I'm going to go through a cardio phase where I'm just like enjoying running with my dogs and swimming. You, you end up, because you're always fighting that battle, aren't you, of losing muscle mass after the age of 30. That then in turn affects your metabolism. You have less metabolic, metabolic flexibility in terms of what you can eat. And you tend to have higher body fat percentage. Um, in terms of like people do do get concerned by this and that they might actually get big and there's a lot out there um about this some people believe that you should lift very um very low weights for women with very high repetitions but in my my understanding and and you can correct me here is that really you just need to provide enough stimulus um for the muscle so that could be through very high volume in terms of repetition but actually if you're um if you work within the hypertrophy range you're going to see results quicker yeah so let's put it to bed now forever <laughs> that women Never get bulky, it again. <laughs> all right let's just anyone listening to this please don't think that that's going to happen like you know yeah there are people out there that lift weights and are massive like that's true um bodybuilders exist and you know elite crossfit crossfit athletes also exist but the amount of training consistently at such a high level that you would have to put in to even come anywhere near close is more than you're ever going to do so there's just there is no risk of it happening like especially if you're female especially if you're over 45 
like building muscle gets harder and harder and harder. And the likelihood is more that you're going to be pissed off. You're not building it than getting too big when you're in that position. Um, like men is men obviously can build muscle more easy. We have more testosterone. Um, but still like as you get older in men it gets harder and harder and harder to build muscle so that's why you don't see many jacked old people because actually mm. your body starts to break it down and it is a fighting battle against it um so in terms of like how we would go about building muscle the general recommendations are that if you stimulate your muscle tissues with about eight to 15 repetitions per set, like eight to 12 is generally optimal um, repetitions per set using a weight, using a resistance, which means that on that 11th or 12th rep, you're really close to not being able to do it. Like that's what's important here. Not, it's not just like you pick up any weight and do eight to 12 reps and you're going to elicit a stimulus that's going to develop muscle tissue. That isn't the case. You have to use a weight which come the 11th and 12th rep, you're struggling, like really struggling to do. And that actually you're going to have to put a lot of effort in to make it happen. Um, with when we talk about rep ranges and stuff, like if you're looking closer to that kind of one rep max strength training component, which is important for, for, for people in order to develop that top end strength, we're looking at usually training between like three to six repetitions. Hypertrophy is typically done between eight to 12 repetitions per set. And then top end, if you're looking for like local muscular endurance, we'd be looking for like 15 plus repetitions per set. Now, when we talk about hypertrophy, and that's basically just the development of the growth of muscle fibers. Um, yes, we work between eight to 12 reps typically, but with women, what actually we found is that women respond generally better to a slightly higher rep range around that kind of 15, 12 to 15 repetitions up to maybe 20, still with heavy weight, still with resistance, which is, which is sufficient to mean that when you're getting to that 18, 19, 20th rep, you're like really struggling, like not one on two pounds, you know, like the kind of old school thinking of like girls shouldn't lift more than five pounds. That's not the case still with those like higher weights and higher rep ranges, but also less recovery because generally men are more powerful and they can elicit higher maximum strength than women, but they need more time to recover in order to do it again. Women generally have more of a capacity to go at a slightly lower intensity, but for longer. So that's, um, that's why if you're training, say, if I was training a man compared to a woman and we were looking at maybe um, upper body strength, for example, then with the guy, maybe what I'd do is do three or four sets of eight to 10 repetitions on a bench press into a bent over row into like a plank hold or something. Whereas with the female, maybe what we do is some sort of um, like four exercise, not a circuit. It's still a, a kind of specific strength training but maybe we'd hit like 15, rep 15 repetitions of like a push up into 15 repetitions of a bent over row into some shoulder press into another core movement. And then after that, maybe she only gets 60 second recovery before starting again. Whereas with the bloke, maybe I give him 90 seconds to two minutes recovery in order to be able to elicit the same amount of 
um, force that he did on the first one. So effectively what we do is just reduce the rest period for a female, increase the rest period a little bit for the male, and they'd respond slightly differently to that training stimulus. But um, the truth is that if you are a female and you do want to get maximum strength, right, then you do need to train in that strength training region of like three to six repetitions per set. It doesn't vary massively. Like that's still the truth. If you want to develop top end strength, and you are working at like 95% of your one RM, then you still have to be working in that kind of three to six reps per set range. And you would still need to have like three to four minutes recovery between sets. Like that doesn't change. But if we're talking about general training protocols for developing muscle tissue to get the best out of your athletes and, and yourself when you're training in the gym, those are the different approaches we generally use for male and female. That's really interesting how you split that out um, for women. So it's higher repetitions with a shorter rest phase. Um, and actually, the other thing I found, and I don't know whether this could be, I don't think it was down to diet, but it was interesting when you talk about women getting bigger and, and generally you might see big CrossFit athletes. I did that style of training for a while. And that was the only type of training that did actually make me bigger. And I didn't like it because I had, what I found was instead of kind of just, I find strength training can make a woman go shoot, like, you know, quite small and quite defined. And it's nice. And you get those sort of long quote unquote, long lean muscles that they're looking for. But when I was doing more CrossFit style training, actually I did just seem to get bigger and it was lower reps and it was more of that power-based training coupled with, you know, high stimulus, a lot of jump boxing. Then you might go and run, jump on the row, come back. I did actually find that was the only style of training over the years that I've played with that made me, I, di I didn't, I didn't enjoy the physique that I got out of it. Yeah. CrossFit is a, it's a great training methodology in, in a lot of ways and it's a bit flawed in others, but effectively like what makes it brilliant is that it is constantly varied it's relatively high intensity. It's functional training. Um, the purpose of CrossFit isn't to make you look a certain way. Mm. Look a certain way as a byproduct of doing CrossFit. CrossFit is purely a performance sport. Um, mm. So if you want to look a certain way, then you would potentially train differently from CrossFit. But actually, like, there's a lot of the training methodology within CrossFit which you can take and apply to someone who wants to lose weight or wants to get stronger. Um, but like, yeah, we, CrossFit is, is fantastic. And I think that if someone is a complete novice, it's one of the safest places that people can go nowadays to, to learn how to do fitness, because you're actually going to get some coaching in that environment and you're going to learn from other people and it's relatively kind of inclusive community. Um, but yeah, it does. It really depends because you, you generally will do quite a lot of work in a short space of time. And so you're stimulating uh, muscle fibers to grow. You're developing that local muscular endurance. Your cardiovascular system is going to be getting um, better and better as well. But you'll do a lot of work, like a lot of pull-ups or a lot of squats mm. or a lot of deadlifts and a lot of varied compound movements. And sometimes, um, like Olympic lifts as well, which can mean that you develop what looks like a bit of a thick core. Okay? Mm. And that is kind of contrast is why some girls think that they look bulkier when they do CrossFit. I would generally say that this is because of 
um, there's a lot of overhead movements. So mm. you're, you're pressing the shoulders get quite thick and that's the muscles that are required for that overhead movement. The core stabilization becomes really important in CrossFit as well, because you're doing maybe a lot of overhead balancing, which requires a lot of core stability. You're doing a lot of um, deadlifting, a lot of kind of flexion extension through that torso and that stabilization develops hypertrophy within the core muscles and they get bigger just like any other muscle would it gets bigger and so if you want a very tiny waist then having thick muscles in your abdomen isn't going to allow you to do that but having thick muscles in your abdomen is what is going to allow you to be a more functioning human being yeah. so it, it's the kind of way up between aesthetic and performance you know the the the, the women in the world which perform the best in physical activities don't tend to have very petite waists mm -hmm. because your core is the thing which connects all the strength and power in your lower body with whatever it is that you're holding in your upper body. So it's, it's quite important and essential. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting there as well, because cross CrossFit combines, as you say, quite a bit of cardio at the same time. Can we kind of um, talk about the, the myths and the facts around how much cardio, let's say that man or woman, anyone that's listening that has, has thought, right, actually, I want to put some muscle on. I'm actually going to, you know, put the effort in on that journey. Some trainers will say, lay off the cardio, be careful, just do a few kind of hit finishes or do some very gentle list sessions, but not too many a week. What's your view? What have you found with that? And are there differences between men and women when you're, when you're going through a periodization stage where you want to gain muscle? Um, I wouldn't say there's massively big differences between men and women in that conversation. Um, the truth is if you want to develop as much muscle mass as possible, then in an absolutely ideal optimal world what you do is you go to the gym you'd lift weights within a very specific rep range that kind of eight to 12 reps per set you would rest for maybe 60 to 90 seconds per set you would make sure that every set you were very close to failure you would stimulate the muscles repeatedly and consistently throughout the week to give them enough volume and enough load that's exactly at the place where you're capable of, of doing and then when you're not doing that, you would be sleeping and eating because that is then giving your body one stimulus. It's saying you need to be big. And so that's what it will do. Now, when we look at doing all different things, say you want to be big and strong and fit. You want to be able to run and swim and hike and do pull-ups and do everything that gets a lot more complicated because you're sending your body all these different signals being like, you need to be able to run. You need to be fit. You need to be strong and big and it's complicated. So, so can you do that? Cause that's like, that's, that's, I guess what I want. And I imagine a lot of people listening on is it's the ultimate, isn't it? Right. Yeah. The ultimate kind of all round athlete. You can do like, it is definitely possible. And it, there's, but there's so many factors which weigh into what the best approach is to do that. Um, and how much experience you've got doing it. Like in the best case scenario would be that you would periodize and you block out phases of training and you do a strength block, uh, probably a hypertrophy block first, then a strength block, then a power block, then a conditioning block. And you do like 
six to six to eight weeks in each thing and you go through the year kind of phasing your training across like if you were an athlete if it was your job Mm. you'd have periodized phase training programs and that's how you'd follow it but most people are not most people they want to do all the different things and they want to have fun with their training and they want it to be varied and it's not about becoming the strongest and then the most powerful and then the fittest because you've got a competition here. It's that you're in life mm. and life doesn't have a date. It just is constantly. So my general recommendation is you can train multiple stimulus. Um, and generally people will adapt to the training that you do to them. It just won't be as quick. So say across an eight week training program, I am, a relative novice and I'm trying to get better at my squats, for example, or get better strength all round, then if I only train strength for those eight weeks, my body will adapt much faster than if I do like half of it strength training and half of it conditioning. Um, just because you're, you're providing multiple stimulus and it, it affects your, how your body responds to it. But for most people, what I would suggest is that you can definitely strength train, resistance train, two times a week as a minimum, ideally three times a week or more. And then you can put cardio in there as well. It depends on what you want to get out of it. Like what's the purpose of your training? If you want general cardiovascular, as in you want to be able to like run for an extended period of time, or you want to just develop your lung capacity or your heart's ability to pump blood around you, then doing kind of those what we call aerobic capacity sessions that are relatively um, long, low intensity once a week would be absolutely fine. And it's not going to interrupt your strength training as long as you don't do it directly after a workout. Um, if you kind of did, let's say strength training on a Monday and then aerobic capacity training on a Tuesday, they're not going to have too much effect on the other because enough time has kind of passed. Um, so you can definitely do it. It's not a problem as such. It's just the conversation is around what is it that you specifically want to get out of your training? What's specifically important to you? And then that would dictate how you would approach it. So, yeah, don't know if that answers the yeah, question it enough. It does. So you kind of need to leave time between the stimulus. But obviously, if people want to yes. have fun, they might be sacrificing a little bit of the results that they might get, say, on the hypertrophy range because they're mixing it in and you know if they're anything like me they're going to get bored and they want to run one day cycle the next go for a swim do a workout um i guess yeah. the, one of them one of the things i find and i did do i overdid this i think is people often overdo hit i think and so they kind of almost yeah. get addicted to those really high intensity classes that they go to five times a week maybe um or they're just doing hit training themselves and then they're not getting results and i find that that's often when you're throwing that in the mix with a lot of other things in your life that's already stressful and cortisol is quite high and then that kind of messes around with metabolism and insulin resistance and things like that and you're maybe not getting yeah. the same results um have you do, you do you think that hit workouts are something that you should keep to just sort of once or twice a week it really depends on how we're defining HIT training. Like HIT technically is high intensity interval training. And you could include HIT training as part of your cardiovascular, your aerobic capacity training. So for example, like where this concept of HIT came from was actually, it was to do with cycling. So they would do um, effectively 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, 
supra maximal intensity. So it would be a case of developing um, the ability for your body to uh, repeatedly develop high levels of force, high intensity, and, and really push the boundaries of how, how long you can go at your maximum capacity. So it'd be like 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, four rounds, maximum. And I'm not just saying like, I'll go hard. I'm talking someone screaming in your face, go at 100% until you're sick on the bike, right? That's where this originated from. And now it's been taken and it's been manipulated and modified. And HIT is just basically anything that's intervals. And that is not technically HIT training. Um, if you were to do proper HIT training, like I just described, on a bike or on a rower or on a ski erg or running, for example, you could incorporate that into your training um, like once or twice a week and it'd be fantastic. You would get fan like brilliant results from it. As long as you were sleeping and eating enough, um, you, it'd be brilliant. Like if you did that kind of HIT training with strength foundations and some more kind of low intensity, steady state cardio, then that would develop a very well-rounded, strong functional athlete. The problem is that HIT is now classes. It's effectively like aerobics that they've just remarketed as this wonderful tool, which will solve all your problems in fitness. But if you go to a class and you're just going in there and you're mindlessly following the person that's saying, okay, we're going to do high knees and then squats and then push-ups and then sit-ups and then this and star jumps and whatever the usually those classes are very high impact first and foremost and so that's less than ideal most people are not functional enough to be able to sustain that so you develop injuries weaknesses imbalances and um that's less than ideal but the other thing is that there's no like metric for you to be able to compare and see your progression so like if you were to go and do a resistance session for example and you've got your program laid out and you're following a very similar program for let's say six weeks you can see last week okay i did 80 kilos on my back squat this week i'm feeling strong i'm going to try 82.5 and you've got that like very accountable controlled variable that you're able to slightly manipulate to steadily push your boundary mm. whereas in a hit class it's like okay 40 seconds high knees go 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 and you're like okay go 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 go, go. and then the next week you have no reference for how you did the week before except yeah. for how you felt mm. or maybe how many calories you burnt based on the strap that you're wearing or whatever the metric is that the gym has to offer you so those workouts I, like they're great in the sense is they get people exercising that wouldn't otherwise exercise. They fill a gap in the market. They people do them and it's better than nothing. But the people listening to this are not interested in better than nothing. They're interested mm -hmm. in optimal. So I would recommend that if you're going to spend five hours a week exercising, that none of those hours in that week are spent doing hit classes but those five hours a week are spent doing a structured resistance training protocol that's periodized and progressively overloaded. That's got 
structured aerobic capacity training in there as well. It may not be super exciting because you're moving from one exercise to the next for 45 minutes. It might be that you do five minutes on a rower max distance at like 80% intensity. Then you get a minute's recovery and then you've got to match that again. And then you get a minute's recovery and then you've got to match that again. Yeah. That doesn't seem sexy. <laughs> that doesn't seem like really exciting, but what it is, is structured, it's progressive, it's accountable, and it's what your body really needs because when you're looking to try and progress uh, consistently, you need to constantly be at this edge of your capacity and like giving yourself tiny little increments to be able to progress further and further. Not going one week over here and then another week you're back here and then another week you're mm -hmm. up here because you're doing like a hit class and then another one, another one, another one. So that is really if you're looking for optimal it's hit classes are not really the best way to spend your time yeah and also i suppose they on those hit classes as well to keep it interesting they're always mixing it up so you never know from one week to the next as you say you've got and it's a very good point there's no indicator um it's a little bit like that with some of the kind of online video programs it's like oh there's a different workout every day for 100 days amazing yeah. you're not you're not falling foul of the, the said principle you know specific adaptation but you, what you, are, you aren't able to do is actually measure it, as you say. And so your programs, presumably, very much are designed so that people can measure their progress and actually physically see and track and get those results. Yeah, 100%. Like the, like the whole point, when you're working with someone online, and even in person, like a face-to-face -face PT should be doing this as well. If you're doing anything where you're paying someone, then you should be able to, you should be recording all of the information. You know, it's not just a case of doing random workouts. And like, if you go on Instagram and, and you're just looking for inspiration of a workout and you're like, yeah, you know what? I fancy doing this. Like, that's cool. But don't base your training on random workouts from Instagram, have a structure. And that's, what's going to allow you to progress. Like your body loves a structure when it comes to training this the idea of keep your body guessing and people go yeah i know i'm gonna do this because then it keeps my body guessing and then it will adapt to it and like no it won't like keeping your body guessing it's too if it's too randomized your body isn't getting enough of a specific stimulus to be able to adapt so keeping your body guessing means consistently pushing your, your body to be able to do more rather than like one week i'm going to focus on lifting and then the next week I'm going to go running and then the week after I'm going to swim and then I'm going to do some hit classes like that's far too varied and you probably won't see enough of a progression from one to the other and therefore you'd probably lose motivation because generally we need progression we need to see results in order to continue to feel like the investment's worth it definitely and to keep going isn't it because it's that it comes back to that motivation as well if you're not seeing results you won't um that is super, super helpful. Can we touch on nutrition? Um, because I think, again, a lot of people are maybe underestimating this a bit as well. People, you know, there was a stage, I guess, where everyone was like, oh, protein, 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 you've got to eat tons and tons of protein. But now there are so many different diets out there that people are following from, you know, the keto diet to low carb. And sometimes I think, and, and people are doing very extended periods of fasting as well. They're maybe not getting enough um, of their macronutrients in. If you, if you shorten the window too much, I think for a lot of people, especially if you're not got optimal gut health, then you can actually struggle to get enough protein on board within a short period of time. And protein in itself, doesn't it, actually stimulates that growth in muscle as well. 
Um, I just want to ask you a few questions on that, if that's okay. Um, what about with, let's say somebody is going to go and strength train or the hypertrophy, but they're going to do some resistance training. Should they have eaten before they do that session? Um, if they, let's take it that they're going and they're going to do an early morning workout. And if they've had some carbohydrates the night before at dinner, would you see that as sufficient muscle glycogen? Would you recommend they're having an amino acid drink? What would be your thoughts there? My first point is always, how do you feel? The Most people aren't, unless you're in a severe calorie deficit, most people have enough muscle glycogen at all times in order to get through an hour's workout. It's really just how you feel. Um, because if you're training, then rate of perceived exertion and effort level is one of the biggest components, one of the factors that affects your ability the most. It's how you feel up here is, will dictate how you perform. So if you're someone that wakes up and you're doing a 6 a.m. class or you're doing a 6 a.m. workout, because that's the only time you can train, and you feel like you need to have something before that because either you feel sick or you don't have enough energy, then do it because that'll make your, make your session better and therefore you'll have a better stimulus and therefore you'll get a better response. Do you need it? Probably not. Like most people have enough muscle glycogen stored to be able to perform for like an hour, a relatively high intensity um, and not suffer any side effects. Do you need amino acids? Again, if you're eating enough protein throughout the day, you're not going to suffer any body composition losses, I feel, without um, if you don't have any BCAAs. In fact, I don't really think that many people need to have BCAAs in order to elicit the body composition response they're looking for. Not as a supplement. Yes, you have to have BCAAs as part of your diet, as part of proteins. Um, but if you're getting a if you're getting enough protein each day around generally recommendation for optimal body compositions around one gram per pound of lean body tissue, then you're going to, you're going to get adequate BCAAs anyway. Um, so when it comes to food before a workout, how does it affect your workout? That's the main thing when it comes to it. Like you want to get the best workout impossible. If it means having a snack, if it means having something sugary beforehand, having a coffee, whatever it is, if you get a better workout, that's going to affect you in a much better way. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And what about post-workout? Do you just go for your next meal or do you make a point of eating post-workout? Um, so generally, if you're looking to get a body composition change, if you want to grow muscle fibers, then the general idea is that you want to consume some sort of food within an hour to an hour and a half of your session. Um, we're looking like between 20 to 25 grams of protein and just, you know, around two to 300 grams, um, 200 calories worth of carbohydrates or just what is relevant to you. You know, obviously you're a big bloke. You're going to need to eat more. If you're a very small female, you're going to need to eat less, but effectively if you want to grow muscle fibers then they need to have protein in order to recover and if you've just broken them all down in the gym from doing loads of weights then getting in kind of 20 25 grams of protein post-workout in that kind of 60 to 90 minute window is going to give you the best case scenario um but the most important thing is going to be what is the total amount of calories that you eat in a day what's the total amount of protein that you eat in a day because it doesn't matter if you get 20 grams of protein in immediately after your workout if you're not hitting anywhere near your total protein requirement for the day, 
or you're not hitting your calorie requirement. You're not going to gain muscle unless you're eating in a slight surplus. So if you're eating in a massive calorie deficit, but getting your 20 grams in post-workout, it's not going to make a blind bit of difference. You need to make sure those are the things which are sorted first. So are you in a slight surplus? You know, five to 10% calorie surplus should be sufficient for most people. Um, and are you getting enough protein in across the day? Those are two more important things than meal timing pre or post-workout. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. And I guess some people are going to worry now when you say put yourself into a calorie uh, surplus of five to 10%, but as you're gaining muscle, (laughs) you are, um, I just feel the panic now. Um, you feel you, as you're gaining muscle, you're improving your metabolism, aren't you? Muscle burns about seven times. I think the calories of fat. It's a lot. It is a lot. lot. I think the important thing to, to talk about this is, Yes, you need to be a calorie surplus because if you think about what you're doing, you are physically making your body bigger. Mm-hmm. And the only way that your body is going to become bigger and your muscles are going to become bigger is if they have something that makes them bigger, right? Like you go to the gym all the time, your muscles won't get bigger unless they have something that adds to them. So I think of any system. You know, like you have what comes in, you've got something in the middle, and then you've got whatever comes out. Now, if you want this thing in the middle, the system itself to get bigger, you have to have more coming in than goes out. If it's equal, the thing in the middle is going to remain constant. So if, if you think about like a small calorie surplus, 5 to 10%, like this is not very much. If you think about like 2,000 calories a day, right? Say someone's eating 2,000 calories a day, that is their maintenance amount that's only an extra one to 200 calories a day. Mm. That is really not a lot of extra food. No. And also just to clarify for people, getting bigger muscles doesn't mean getting bigger overall. I know when I've done this and I, and I've done what you've spoken of actually, where you, you go through a stage and it's really well structured and you're growing muscle. I actually found that because of the drop in body fat, I was overall smaller. So like I, you know, your, my waist size went down, the jeans I could wear, you know, all of those things basically. Yeah. Well, you'll notice that when you start putting on muscle tissue that your, your body shape changes mm. and that some bits might get bigger, like your bum, for example, or your quads or whatever, like the areas that you are specifically trying to gain muscle on, the, the volume of the muscle might get larger. Yes. But the other areas of your body, which maybe you want them to get smaller, like your waist, for example, or the fat that's stored on your hips or the, the, the fat on the back of your arms, that might get smaller. So your body shape will change. But this isn't going to be like an overnight click your fingers and it will happen thing. This is going to be gradual and it's going to take time. And like, it's not that you're going to go to bed one day and then wake up the next and be like, oh my God, what's just happened to me? Massive like CrossFit style athlete. <laughs> no, like, that's just not going to happen. It's going to be a case of like very gradual step by step by step by step over time, weeks, months, maybe even years. And that is something which if it gets to a point you're like, you know, I don't really like how this is going, then you can always change it. That's the beauty of how you train and how you eat is like, you could go into a surplus for three, six months with the sole aim of growing muscle tissue. And then after that, be like, you know, I want to go into a deficit and I want to specifically work on losing body fat Mm. and you can do that. Or you could just eat at relative maintenance and 
it will take longer, but your body will slowly change its body composition and you'll have less body fat and you'll have more muscle mass. Like that, that de- generally does happen, but it just takes longer than if you focus on one thing and then the other. Again, this like links back to what I was saying about your training stimulus. Like your body's brilliant and it will be very quick at doing something if you tell it to do one thing. Like if you tell your body, I want to be brilliant at running, that is what your body will become brilliant at. But if you want to become brilliant at everything, it's a lot harder. You know, it's like if I ask you five questions at once, it's much more difficult for you to answer Mm. them all correctly than if I just ask you one question. Um, And it's the same when you're trying to gain muscle or lose body fat. You can do both at the same time. It's easier if you're a novice. The more um, experienced you are in fitness, the harder it does get to do it. But it is possible. It's possible because I guess that then you're looking at micro amounts, aren't you? Um, so to kind of, before we close, I just want to talk to you a little bit about, because what's different about yours, we've talked a lot about nutrition. We've talked a lot about movement and we did touch on it at the beginning, but in terms of mindset, you've obviously got a very strong mind. I know that you um, felt that you experienced when you were on the show on the Netflix show, um, too hot to handle. There was actually a lot more kind of workshops and training there as well. And, um, from the, from the research I've done, you experienced quite a bit of personal growth yourself. What do you do, um, David, on a kind of continual basis to keep growing and to keep your mindset strong? I talk to people. I talk to people that are smarter than me, basically. And I have I now have developed a mindset of constantly wanting to improve and and i accept that i might be wrong all the time right so i that that shift was something that was massive for me when i was younger i used to think i have to be right and if someone tries to prove that i'm wrong then no that's not happening i was right (laughs) stubbornness whereas like a shift in mentality away from that to everything i know could be wrong show me that i'm wrong teach me to be better that means that I can have conversations with anyone and because I'm willing to learn, it constantly means that I'm able to evolve and, and, and be able to then pass that information on to someone else. So as, as like a kind of thing that I am doing, it's, it's just being receptive in all areas to like new information and understand it. Um, listening to podcasts, reading books, like those are things that are really big, but honestly it's talking. Right. For me, it's, it's talking to people. It's having conversations with my friends and challenging those around you also to be better and, and to develop a culture within your friendship group, within your family of openness, of communication and of non-judgment. Mm. Because then everything starts to grow and, and get better and go up as, as you are able to have more free and open, honest conversations with people. I love that. That was a, a different answer than I hear quite often. I love that. Really important. And, and, and I love the humility of it as well, because we are just always growing as we go and learning. I want to be a constant learner, a lifelong learner. What are your mm. favorite? Um, have you got a favorite book? Uh, I read uh, Lewis Howe's uh, Masks of Masculinity. That was a pretty powerful one uh, for any guys that listen to that and you haven't read that book or listen to it definitely recommend it because it is it sums up what it what the 
stereotypes of masculinity are you know are you a guy that like prides himself on his ability to make money are you a guy that prides himself on his ability to sleep with multiple women are you a guy that is trying to be really mysterious like all of these things are kind of masks that we wear to protect ourselves from other people seeing our weaknesses and who we really are because actually if they judge us for something we're not it doesn't really hurt that much does it because mm. we know deep down that's not us but if you put yourself out there and you remove that mask and you show your vulnerability then that can be scary because then we feel like oh well i'm exposing myself for who i am and if someone doesn't like that that can be difficult but actually what you find is that the more that you own and accept and are open to your own vulnerabilities and weaknesses the more that you gain power and the, the best reference i have for this is something which i hope your listeners will know is eight mile right the film with eminem in he does this is perfect example because he's basically in this rap battle and as a concept rap battles is where two people one person basically says loads of things to someone else about them to try and put them off and then the other person says something back in like a rap format now in in like the closing scene of eight mile eminem basically says to his opponent everything about himself that his opponent could possibly use against him he's like yeah i live in a uh, trailer yeah you had sex with my girlfriend yeah my mate shot himself like that's who i am what have you got and because he owned all of these weaknesses all of these flaws all these vulnerabilities the other person has no ammo against him because he's like i don't care that's just who i am mm. and that's something which is super powerful for all of us as men and women to mm. accept all of these things about who we are yeah. and uh lewis howard does a great job of kind of pointing out these things to us in the book masculine masculinity great recommendation thank you for that um and so before you go thank you so much for coming on please share all your um social media handles you're not i know you're oh, very active on instagram you've got your own podcast please share with the listeners where they can find yeah. you and more about your programs for sure yeah so my personal account is at david.bertwistle um endeavor life is just at endeavor life and then the podcast i host is the coaching confidence podcast on um anchor and spotify and all of the podcast places and then uh, you can find me on youtube just type in my name and something will probably come up <laughs> <laughs> it does comes up pretty easily i will link to all of that in the show notes thank you so much for taking your time today david and sharing all that wisdom you're super welcome andrew thank you so much for having me thank you thanks for listening remember to review and subscribe you can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.